Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And then I said, you know, I've got this idea about this bomb on a bus. Get ready for Rush Hour. It's a movie oral history like no other. 50 Miles Per Hour charts the making and legacy of director Jan de Bont's 1994 summer blockbuster, Speed. You're talking about a film that dramatically overachieved. The premise was so ridiculous and yet so delightful. I think I was totally ready for it. I mean, I've worked on some really big action movies already. I'm your host, Chris Tapley, and across 50 episodes, I'm going to take you on a breakneck journey from conception to execution, distribution, and beyond. The first thing I came up with was the little bit, the bum, 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 bum. It was like a board, a board, a board. She was 15 feet from being toast. Join me as I talk to the people who made it happen and discuss their memories of an electrifying thrill ride that defied expectations and became a global star-making phenomenon. But, you know, I didn't have the real estate, you know, to, to face off with Jan and go, well, my character wouldn't do that. I did not like my character. I was glad she died. He gave him specific instructions and he just kind of went off and did what he did. And he was paid a fuckload of money. The career was floundering. And I, I just told the agent, I need something. People said, well, what did you do in the film? And I said, basically what I did in the film was Jack! Through conversations with filmmakers, film scholars, and film fans, I'll attempt to secure Speed's rightful place in the canon of action cinema. And then all of a sudden it's like, she's a movie star. She's like a fully formed movie star. Speed is just so much fun to watch. It's so economical. Speed is with Die Hard, the sea change. Every moment of it feels real. It feels like that came from a, a more innocent time. All of that and more, 50 weeks, 50 episodes on 50 miles per hour. Welcome to Die Hard on a Black, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne, and with me as always is Liam Billingham, and today's film is Speed! It's Die Hard on a Bus. It's also the greatest movie ever made, maybe. Ah, Phil, how are you? I'm good. I haven't been this hyped oh about a movie that we're doing on the show since, since the Hard last Boiled. movie we <laughs> talked about. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm hyped for yeah for pretty much every movie, but this is this is next level. Next level, and you know it's very special because every once in a while a movie podcast comes out that gets us very 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 excited, and that happened recently, and we had to have the host of that podcast. 50 miles per hour, Chris Tapley on the show. Welcome to the show, Chris. Dudes, thank you so much. Oh my God. This is like the best. We're the, so happy you're here. Uh, that, 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 those compliments are like mana right now because I'm deep in editing and just drowning every day. And it, 
love to get a pat on the back. Very quick story. Um, so, so Chris hosts 50 Miles Per Hour podcast, which is a 50-episode oral history of the movie Speed. And I have never subscribed to a feed faster than when Blake Howard, our mutual friend, shared that. And I think he said something like, I've heard the first three episodes of this and it's great. And I was like, sold. Like, let me throw $50 at this right now, <laughs> which you should do, $50 to get episodes early. I, I love, you know, I'll throw that idea out there. Keep it on brand. And the fact that it was so, like, it's delivered. In every single way. And we love it. And uh, we talk about it. Like, we literally once a week, Phil will text me and be like, did you listen to 50 miles per (laughs) hour? It was an instant addiction for me. It's a brilliant concept and incredible, like, especially if you're interested in the the sort of inside baseball of movie making and Mm -hmm. getting really granular and specific about everything from script development to the the psychology behind casting. uh, And then now you're going to be moving into more production stuff. It is riveting. And I, I absolutely love the show. And really, we are thrilled to have who I have to say is the, the, the world's foremost expert on the movie Speed. And we got him on the show. So Here welcome, am. Chris. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's, it's nice to use uh, my credentials for something that I can actually do something Speaking with Speaking of your credentials, <laughs> Chris Tapley has covered the film and television industry for two decades with bylines at Variety, Vanity Fair, The New York Times, Netflix Q, HitFix, and The Times of London. He was formerly the host of Variety and iHeartRadio's Playback Podcast, where he interviewed filmmakers, actors, and more about their work. He also hosted Netflix's behind-the-scene podcast, The Call Sheet, as well as the popular awards season podcast, Oscar Talk, a co-production with IndieWire. He now works as a writer and consultant in Los Angeles, where he lives with his loving wife, lively son, and lazy cat. Great alliteration. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Tapley, and you can follow 50 Miles Per Hour Pod at 50MPHPOD. We're glad to have you. Thanks Thank for you. coming on. That is all accurate information. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> That's cool. It's like found it on your website, so I hope so. So my question for you, which I'm sure the listeners would want to know, as you already alluded to, like the amount of work that you're undertaking with this podcast, I mean, it truly is a a labor of love, right? 50 episodes about one movie, but it all holds up. It's all incredibly compelling and enlightening and illuminating. What was it about speed specifically that compelled you to go on this mammoth undertaking? Yeah, Speed is the movie that uh, got me interested in the filmmaking process. Mm. It was the first movie where I was like, oh, that's how they did that. They had 10, 11, 12 buses or whatever. And, uh, you know, I saw the HBO First Look, if you remember that show yeah. a long time ago, that really was just a collection of EPK footage from movies. But uh, you don't know that when you're a kid and you're just watching it like, that's how they did that. And yeah. You know, I, I went to film school. I came out here and was a journalist for 15 years covering film. And so it, it, it was the movie that just kind of pulled the veil back for me a little bit. And uh, so fast forward, I, I, I did a 20th anniversary story about the movie in 2014 and talked to all the passengers, the actors on the bus for that, for an oral history, and as well as Keanu, Sandra, and Jan de Bont. And I just always had it in the back of my head that I might do more mm. one day. And so here we are. I've talked to like 90 people and uh, labor of love is it. Uh, I, I, it's not a labor of income. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to podcast. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's a blast. And, and, and honestly, I can't think of a better movie that's a better specimen for just 
really examining every step of the process, yeah. screen, screenplay development, casting, how a movie shifts before it even goes before cameras, certainly the filmmaking process, and just every step of the way, it's just uh, a great specimen for that. It's interesting because, you know, we, when we talked about The Fugitive, I called it a perfect organism. And I think that speed is also, uh, this is one of the few movies we've done on the show that is a perfect action movie. Mm -hmm. So I think a, a, study, movie, a, a study of yeah. perfection is mm -hmm. an endeavor worth undertaking. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, it's, 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 it's truly is worthy of the level of like microcosmic analysis that you, that you do on your show. So pivoting, this show isn't about speed. This episode is about speed. Are you this sure? show yeah, I mean, is it about, can be. Uh, yeah, it can be. It is today. <laughs> it's it starting to like, uh, I don't talk mutate. about speed enough. <laughs> <laughs> the power of the power of the bus is so strong. Um, but what is your relationship with Die Hard? As this show is obviously about Die Hard and, and the relationship of other movies and other movies that have, mm -hmm. uh, it has influenced. What's your, um, what's your relationship with it, with that one? That's fun actually. Cause when I think about it, Die Hard is probably one of my earliest, uh, sort of indelible, movie memories um bruce willis jumping off that building and Oof. it exploding behind him is like maybe the first iconic movie image i, I probably recall mm. uh you know i would have been eight years old when i saw the movie but when i do think about those indelible images i think about gene kelly in the lamppost or mm. Or uh, Cary Grant in the uh, crop duster and John mm. McClane jumping off that building with, what is that called, fire hose fire tied hose around, around his, his waist. waist. Yeah. I mean, it was such a wild thing. I'm sure I saw it on tape or something with my parents, seems to be what I recall. And it was just a badass movie. I can curse on this right yeah, of course okay. help fuck yourself yeah. fuck yeah <laughs> so, so yeah it's, it's all we do in most episodes so <laughs> feel free it stuck with me i mean it, I, so so yeah i would say my parents you know just watching it with my parents yeah and just it, it was a as you know it changed a lot of things for movies it was the beginning of maybe yeah. in some ways modern Movie Absolutely. Making. We've talked many times on the show how there's basically movies before Die Hard and there's movies after Die Hard and how uh, you can pretty you can draw a line pretty uh, you know pretty easily between you know what preceded and what what followed Die Hard this film in particular which we'll get to but do you have a favorite Die Hard character? Ooh. Ooh, <laughs> kind mean, of a curveball. Well, I mean, it's got to be uh Hans <laughs> Bubby. <laughs> I'm your white knight. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, it's got to be Ellis. And it's interesting how the Gruber thing has come up a lot on your your show. I think Graham Yost, the writer of Speed, uh, referenced how much he loved Hans Gruber and yeah. that informed some of the creation of the the villain, which was quite uh, a tortured path, yeah. uh, as you, as you kind of talk about. Yeah. So we're going to get into that uh, in, a, in, in a moment, into some of the more specific uh, mm. diehard DNA. But before we do, should we just put this in context with a quick... Um, Top line fact couple check. couple facts about speed. Give us the facts. Yeah. Chris probably has these facts, so it might be and nice I, for I'll him to know you're I get them wrong. Yeah, we should have a little, like a ding, 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 yeah. ding. Like a little buzzer I'm definitely on like, uh, I should have yeah. like grabbed one from I'm my nervous. kids. I'm like, nervous. You know, like game set or something so like that. Hopefully these are, these, these are, are accurate. So speed had its wide release on June 10th, um, 1994, which was approximately eight months after our last film, Demolition Man, which was released on October 8th of 1994. 
1993. We're now six years after the release of Die Hard, which was, of course, the summer of 88, still feeling its aftershocks, uh, as we will continue to do for, for many decades. It was an original screenplay written by Graham Yost, um, directed by Jan de Bont, produced by Mark Gordon. Of course, it stars Keanu Reeves, Dennis Hopper, Sandra Bullock, Jeff Daniels, and Joe Morton. On an estimated budget of $35 million, it grossed $350.4 million. Now, of course, those figures are are uh, not always uh, absolutely accurate. So Fact sorry, check. So, yes. I'll tell you, uh, the thing about the box office is uh, it's hard to track down those international mm. numbers uh, for movies. This isn't an old, old movie, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just, we, I think, like, the collapse of, I'll call it the collapse of box office mojo has made, like, it difficult to track down certain numbers, but that all seems about right. It was officially budgeted at twenty eight million. Okay, but they added more as as they went. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Thank you for, yeah, clar- <laughs> clarifying that. But the point really is that I mean, if this made a hundred million, it would be considered a major success. But to to make three hundred and fifty point four million on that budget for a film that, as you talked about, at Fox wasn't necessarily like considered mm. a big blockbuster movie. Was kind of like they considered it almost a, a a borderline B-level genre movie at first, and then when they re- I, I, is that is that right? Like, I wouldn't even say borderline. Yeah, I mean they 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 didn't have faith in it beyond what they used to call a programmer, mm. uh, just a, a movie that could be made for a number, and yeah, they wanted to make it for fifteen. Uh, wow. They wanted to hire, uh, you know, guys someone like Dwight Little, uh, the director right. of Rapid Fire. Um, they were looking at guys like that, and they kind of rolled the dice with Jan, but they didn't want to put a lot into it. Um, I mean, you know, Keanu made a million dollars, and as I hear it, Sandra made four hundred grand. Uh, so they they weren't going to get like Julia Roberts and Tom Hanks on a bus, you know. It, 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 they weren't trying to do that kind of a movie. But also, <laughs> I'm like, trying to picture that version uh, of the yeah, movie in my head, much different. Yeah. But that's also how you make money: is you, you do things for a responsible price, and right. then you everybody gets rich. Yeah. So there you yeah. go. And some well, people definitely must have gotten rich here. It's fascinating to oh, think yeah. of it as the little bus that could. You know, yeah. this sort of uh, smaller movie that was not necessarily like consi- it was going to attract tremendous studio resources, which, which was just regarded as a, a, a little action picture that maybe they could turn a profit on if they, you know, if they cast it right and they got the formula right. And it's ended up being an iconic classic that 30 years later, a seasoned film journalist is dedicating all of his life yeah. to cataloging. So that just tells you the power of this movie. And 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 ask quickly, did you guys, like, do you remember when this came out? Because, like, this is the summer of speed for me. I saw it at least twice. Like, I just feel like it, like, occupied my brain oh, yeah. for months. Well, 94 was actually a, a, a notable year for me. Before that, I was, like, one year in the theater, one movie in the theater every year. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it was like, what's the one movie we're going to see? Batman, mm-hmm. Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Good choices, uh, yeah, honestly. You know, Masters of the Universe was my first movie in the, mm-hmm. in the oh, theater. Oh, I saw that at the theater, too. I, 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 I remember it fondly. Yeah. I cried after. I was so scared. I thought it was magical. I, was, like, I love it. I love that movie. My dad was like, what'd you think? I was like, it was so scary. Yeah, the Cosmic yeah. Key, let's do it. But 94 was the first year I saw like movie upon movie upon movie. Part of that was I was like, Coming off of being a real big and living color fan, yeah. So Jim Carrey was blowing up, right? Yeah, right. 
So I went to see like The Mask and Dumb and Dumber and everything. And and I, yeah, that that summer was. I mean, I'm gonna do an episode down the pike where it's just the movies of '94 because cool. it's worth doing. I mean, yeah. there's so many great movies from prestige to popular entertainment. Just uh, so much good stuff. So yeah, it's like a big coming of age. Yeah, I remember that year, and we had Nick Dissembly Nick Dissemblian on last week, who's the editor of Empire. And and I my first copy of Empire was the preview of Summer of '94, and wow. it was True Lies, Blown Away, <gasps> Speed, a lot of these great I action movies True that we'll, that we'll be doing. True Lies kind of eclipsed, I think, was the studio's, was the focus of the studio's attention over Speed, right? That's the reason that Speed released in June, because right. True Lies needed more time. True Lies had that mm. release date, and they needed more time, and they were going to release Speed in August, and then they were test screening it, and like, this movie's playing like gangbusters. Okay, we're going to move it to June. And it sort of launched the season that year. Yeah, I mean, the, a week later, Lion King came out. Um, and then before long, what a summer, Forrest huh? Gump. I mean, it was like, <laughs> yeah, that was that was a real golden age. It's weird to think that like there was a time where every week, every two weeks, like what now feels like a bona fide classic Absolutely. came out. Not yeah. to be that guy, but it's just wild. Well, that's it's why wild. whenever Top, Top Gun Maverick hits, people act like it's. You yeah. know, the second, second coming, coming. because, <laughs> I mean, we're just, good movie. we're just starved for this kind of thing. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, something that has that kind of, um, when it's like old Hollywood, right, where it's an old, it's a studio picture driven by a movie star, you know, that is, as they, I hate to use these kind of terms, but like four quadrant, you know, mm. and appeals to a mass, a mass audience, but not in a way that is like, um, in, in a good way, you know, in a way that's like unifying. Um, I do have one specific question with you because, of course, I, I, uh, I do have one specific question for you, uh, which is – now, this was Graham Yost's original idea, and he's the sole credited writer. He's a brilliant writer. We'll be discussing several of his other films, such as Broken Arrow and Hard mm. Rain. Mm. But one of the things you talk about on your podcast, just to give the listeners a bit of a flavor of the kind of thing that you do on it, is you, you've discussed the involvement of script doctors like Paul Atanasio and Joss Whedon. Yeah. So for our listeners, how would would you summarize the contributions that they made to the final product? That's this is that's a big one. I would Concise. say, as concisely as you episode can. Episode number twelve. Yeah. Of okay, there you go. No, no, really. Uh, it's that's really special, I think, because no one's ever talked to Paul first of all about speed that I know of. I haven't really seen. Any, I had any no interviews. idea. Yeah, People, news to me. He, he People in the industry it. know about Joss, but yeah, not yeah. so much. So, so Paul, his claim to fame uh, soon after was writing Quiz Show, and he was Oscar nominated for that. You write Donnie Brasco too. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Wait. I love that movie. Yeah. I if he, he if he didn't, this will be edited out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I believe so. He's uh, a great writer, and at the time was a script doctor, which are these guys that would just be hired to come in and fix a script without any credit. Just they would get paid a boatload of money. And it was guys like Joss Whedon and Paul Atanasio, and they were still early in their career. I mean, this is kind of one of the more famous examples, I guess, famous is like a John Sayles. It's on so many right. scripts that you would never know. So, like, they're usually brought in to elevate the material. I think typically, more than anything, it's a cover-your-ass thing for the studio mm. so that as as – uh, a former Fox executive on the podcast, Jorge Saralegui, says it's like if it fails or something, you can say, well, gosh, I hired whoever. So it's like, you know, my hands are clean. I, I did what I could. So they come in and I don't even – I never really got to the bottom of what the problem was with the script in their eyes and why they needed anything, which is why I think it was just a cover your ass thing. But according to everyone, Paul came in and just completely fucked it up and – 
What I've been able to surmise is that he added a lot of the ba- this backstory stuff to the bus passengers to kind of set them up and really just went off on his own thing. And this is three weeks before they're ready to shoot. Wow. Uh, in like July of 93. And so that happens. He gets paid. They get rid of him. And they've got to fix it. And what they did was uh, Jorge brought in Walter Parks and Laurie McDonald, who are well-known producers. Walter is a well-known screenwriter. He wrote War Games. And they came in to oversee this young writer that they were going to bring in to fix this. And that writer was Joss Whedon. Joss came in and just gave it his voice. I mean, we know what the Joss Whedon voice is, and that is very much what I think helps really give speed a lot of its kick and weeded out some of the Paul stuff and we're left with and also he stayed through production and would whenever they needed lines or something Jan would call him and say hey I need a line here I need a line there so 99 95% of the dialogue is Joss Whedon it's really just punching it up and you know, sometimes they say it's as simple as oh they just need jokes you need you to make it smarter by writing jokes and things like that but this is what they did to the script and got it ready for production literally in the 11th hour. And uh, it's a very different script four weeks before they go into production than it is mm. as they go into production. It's a, and, and I tracked down this one draft that exists at the WGA library that I, I've never seen online. And for some reason, this is the one copy the WGA has. I went there on the first day of the strike, actually. I sat there and read it. And it's the only draft that has, like, Paul's stuff in it that you can really find. And that was really eye-opening. So anyway, if you listen to that episode, you get a much longer uh, explanation. I love that episode because it's almost like a true crime podcast episode. It has this like mystery at the center of this movie. Who did what? Who wrote the most iconic line, right? Which is another. Who wrote Pop Quiz Hotshot became like my rosebud. Yeah. Because everybody's always said, oh, that was Joss Whedon. And Joss is like, I didn't write that. I don't even like that line. And I'm like, okay. And so... There's a whole journey in that episode of trying to find out. It's a great episode, especially, again, if you're interested in the inside baseball stuff. And it's something that for me was uh, as a screenwriter who has worked for many studios and has been around that process and been involved with it and been sort of on all sides of that type of scenario. It was it was very fascinating and at the same time, slightly psychologically traumatizing, (laughs) (laughs) but it is compelling drama. (laughs) And it it really is very, 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 very interesting um, it, one of the many, you know, fascinating insights that you that you uh, that you uncover they, in the they, show. They were very candid. Yeah, uh, it was, was great. Pulls no punches. It was it's really great stuff. You get the real juice instead of the, you know, the sanitized uh, what people say for to to the press. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's impressive how honest people are. Maybe yeah. because it's thirty years ago, but like I particularly like Jorge Saraleggi is like every oh, time he comes on great. the show, I'm like, oh my god, that guy's like, a gold mine. Talk about He's keeping incre- it real, and also just like, <laughs> yeah, no fluff, no bullshit. Yeah. Can like, I talk about how I found him? Sure, please. I interviewed, uh, rest in peace, John Wright, the editor of the film, who was nominated for Speed and for The Hunt for Red October. Oh my god. And he was like telling me about how the studio didn't have faith in the movie. And he was like, yeah, this, the exec would come in the editing room and just be like, yeah, they don't have faith in this. I think his name was Jorge. And I'm like, I've never heard of a Jorge. Mm. And the thing about studio executives involved with developing movies, you can't go to IMDb yeah. and be like, who was the executive yeah, on yeah. this movie? So I'm like, who is Jorge? And I did a dive just into Variety Archives, which is like an, a, a very crucial resource that I hope they continue to protect. And I found a Jorge in one of the listings, like in one of the articles. It was like Jorge Saralegi. I'm like, oh, 
there he is. Oh, wow. Once I had the last name, he was easy to find. Mm-hmm. But like just going from John saying Jorge, and I'm like, who's Jorge? And just kind of trying to find because I Googled Jorge Speed. Like, I'm like, who is this? And and finally found him. And, yeah, he agreed to talk to me. And we talked for four hours. And wow. he just sat, he just sat me down and just told me. And, yeah. and I believe every word he says because he's got yeah. no reason yeah. to, like. He's giving you the real shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and he's also, like, self-effacing. And so it's just, like. He was he was just a gold mine. I, I I love it every time I, I get to bring in his. Every time his voice comes on the show, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Well, I also think you know I was watching prepping for this the other day, and I was watching the film, and it made me realize like this is the first time I've watched. I watched Speed like once a year, but I was like, this mm-hmm. is the first time I've watched it since I've started listening to Fifty Miles Per Hour, and I had this really great moment. And you know, it's a testament where you like you recognize names now that you yeah. didn't recognize before. You know, like you're not just thinking about Jan Debon. you're not just thinking about Keanu Reeves. You're you're sort of like basking and like I know more about these people I know the work they did and and you know it is interesting because Jorge Saralegui's name is not in that opening yeah. scrawl but it, it gives a testament to like the the good creative development that can yeah. happen when someone like believes in a project and it's not that it's, it's thankless for him but like he believed in something he had the, the the tools to marshal it and when you have that person in Hollywood that's really there to do that amazing things can happen and it's a testament to that and that was after one studio had already yeah. rejected it you yeah. know i've got a whole thing on the development at paramount with don granger who is now you know oversees the film division at skydance and yeah speaking of top gun maverick so like yeah it's it's uh, I, I appreciate being able to pull these guys out of the shadows a bit and yeah no it's 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 great and it is it's like no one would know yeah. And I think that yeah. that is like... It is almost like a detective story that you're unfolding as yeah. you realize, like, who are all the contributors to this perfect piece of art? Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, a, that's a, a worthy pursuit. Speaking of perfect pieces of art, can you tell us how Die Hard and Speed connect in our section, Die Hard DNA? I'd be delighted to. Thank you. Um, so, yes, this is the section where we outline the, the connections between uh, the, the movie that we're doing and, of course, the original classic. Uh, so, uh, as with Die Hard, uh, Speed was made and distributed by 20th Century Fox. Um, it was directed by Jan de Bont, who was the director of photography on Die Hard. It also has the same production designer as Die Hard, Jackson Degovia. Of course, it's set in LA. It starts with a terrorist attack inside a skyscraper, then deals with terrorism in other confined spaces. The hero is an independent-minded maverick cop who is highly adept at improvising and problem-solving while under extreme pressure. The main hero also has a friendly LAPD ally who's peripheral to the action for most of the movie. The hero and the villain are apart for most of the movie and rarely interact in the same physical space. The villainous terrorist is motivated by money rather than ideology. Is this the longest list of these you've yeah. done? Probably, I, I have to. I have to bring like my A game because I'm, I you know, you're on the show, show right? Literally about to levitate. He's so excited. There's also a subtle class dimension to the film, which is something that you you talk about, like how it's this sort of cross section of blue collar LA residents caught up in the ensuing mayhem. And also, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this as the the final point. If this is something that you've ever come across, or if you're planning to do anything about it, we talked about this in detail in our episode on Ricochet, um, the 1991 Denzel action thriller, 
There's an argument to be made, and it was it was made by a, a critic whose name is Daniel Baldwin, as I recall, wrote a whole piece about this, that Speed actually takes place in the same extended cinematic universe as Die Hard, w. a.k.a. the Val Verde mega-movie-verse. The two films are directly connected via the use of the fictitious Pacific Courier Company, <gasps> which is the logo that appears on the truck that Hans Gruber and the, the team mm. first arrive in, and it's also the logo that appears on the side of the plane that the bus in speed eventually crashes into at the airport. That's because of the production designer, Jackson Degovia, uh, did both films. So that was uh, his so way of Commando? connecting them. I don't think he did. Okay. I'd have to I'd have to fact check that. Um, that logo was also on the truck that explodes at the beginning of Die Hard with a Vengeance. Exactly. Yeah, that was yeah. A, that was another that You was guys another should connection. do a Val Verde 25 episode podcast. <laughs> Am I missing anything, Chris, in terms of connections that you can think of between uh, Die probably, Hard and Speed? But <laughs> just because there's clearly so many. Um, but I I do appreciate the shout out of Jack. Uh, we've got him coming up on the show. Oh, great. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, this is like the platonic ideal of a diehard on a blank. I it, think it, it, is, it is. It's a watershed moment it for It kind our of embodies the phrase, but I do have a hot take that I'm going to throw oh at you my guys goodness. in a second. So we'll move on to our section called The Anatomy of an Action Movie. The first. Actually, um, I'm sorry. Yes, before please. you do, they were literally deriding this movie as about diehard on a bus as they were making it. Yeah. Like, wow. So it's it absolutely embodies the spirit of what you're doing yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's the, stu the studio, uh, the actors, they it, they were literally calling it Die Hard on a Bus. As if it, in a pejorative way, yes. right? Like, yes. yeah, in a derisive way. Yeah. Well, we here at Die Hard on a Blank don't think that Die Hard ripoffs are bad. <laughs> we think they're the greatest art that we cinema has to contribute to the world. To them. <laughs> so... Now, as we say, yeah, this is probably the most cited example of a film that embodies the phrase Die Hard on a Blank, okay, right? It's very commonly known as Die Hard on a Bus. But here is my hot take, guys. Okay. Are you ready for this? You ready? You've heard it here first. Speed is not Die Hard on a Bus. It's been nice to be here, guys. I'll see you. Yeah, I gotta, listen, <laughs> I'm going to go with Chris because I don't know what's out. happening. Let's hear, hear me it. out. Okay, now you might say, okay, no, you know, it's Die Hard on an elevator, then Die Hard on a bus, then Die Hard on a subway train. But actually none of that is strictly true. And I think it does speed a tremendous disservice oh. to refer to it that way. Because Chris the, is back. <laughs> the Die Hard formula, right, is typically bad guys take over a blank, right, as we talked about, toy soldiers, uh, prep yeah. school, Battleship in Under Siege, plane in Passenger 57, right? It's a bunch of henchmen with machine guns mm. uh, taking over a confined physical space, right? That's not what speed is. Mm. It's actually way better than that. Um, yes, as we just outlined in Die Hard DNA, there are a lot of connections, but it is incredibly reductive reading to, to call speed simply Die Hard on a bus. Now, there are obviously are Die Hard echoes in there and also echoes of the 1975 Japanese film, uh, The Bullet Train. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched that one. Um, I've never seen it. I just watched it. It's actually available on Tubi. Uh, God for bless free, Tubi, right, guys. Right now. I'm going to um, write that it, down. It's Bullet dubbed, train. but it's, it's actually a really kind of cool movie it's kind mm. of a hip uh vibe to it it's it's actually like an interesting cross between taking a pelham one two three and unstoppable um it's 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 actually pretty pretty cool movie and and it's also got elements of the 1985 film runaway train 
which I don't know if you've ever seen that, Liam, yeah. but oh, that's yeah. a Venn diagram of you, right? Yeah, yeah, Konchalevsky, love, yeah. Kurosawa script it's in like an literally 80s action I, movie. Yeah, I'm obsessed with Runaway Train. It's an amazing yeah, movie with three Did incredible performances. Absolutely, because Runaway Train is, is what spurred the idea for Graham to write this. That's right. Uh, and it was a misunderstanding because Graham's father, sorry to interrupt you there. Go ahead. Uh, Graham's father, uh, Elwi Yost, used to host a show on Canadian yeah. television, uh, Saturday Night at the Movies, which was like a, just a kind of talk show about movies, which sounds fantastic. Uh, but he kind of got the uh, plot description wrong when he conveyed it to Graham. He was like, yeah, it's about this train. It's a, it's a Kurosawa script about this train that'll blow up if it slows down. And then they saw it. He, Graham saw the movie. He's like, oh, no, it just can't slow down. And they can't get to the brakes. And it's not quite that. But what if? Right. And he was like, it'd be better if it would be a bus and so it, that's what I mean Speed owes a debt to Akira Kurosawa is how the cool point is that? here yeah. <laughs> Akira Kurosawa on a blank oh my god <laughs> Spin so off. the bullet train basically the premise of the bullet train and the, not to be confused with the Brad Pitt right, recent movie the, the bullet train from 1975 the concept of it is that the train um, can't go below 80 miles an hour or 100 kilometers an hour or it will explode so yeah. it does have some derivation from that concept which as you say is sort of filtered through a couple of mis misinterpretations but in defense of speed that that's it a, a bullet train a train by necessity is going through like uh, a, a one track it's not going through no a city there's no yeah. traffic there's no complications they have to come up with a bunch of different things to uh, so it, it, so it's not like it's not derivative even though that is there is a similarity with that concept this is actually a completely new story paradigm in my opinion within american action movies where the ticking clock is the premise and i would suggest that this quote there's a bomb on a bus once the bus goes above 50 mile per hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, the bomb blows up. What do you do? Is the greatest premise, the greatest hook, the greatest embedded ticking clock in the history of contemporary, like, uh, you know, action movies or in movies in general. Has there ever been a better premise than that? Like, what would even be a candidate? Nothing. I mean, first of all, I totally appreciate that. I do. Th I, I, it is annoying when it's derided as diehard on a whatever uh because it, it there is so much more going on there and it's it's clean it's perfect and can you imagine writing that as a spec oh i mean you write a spec script what's your first order of business let me write something that can be made and you're writing a movie about a bus going through traffic on and can't slow down and like how do you even begin to think about making that, let alone selling that screenplay to somebody? And and that Graham said, I'm going to write this spec. It's a ballsy premise. If if it's not the best premise in the world, it's certainly the most ballsy one I've It is I've the best across. premise in the world. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it is the best premise in the world. I can't. I it's could fantastic. not think of a. The only other thing I could think of that has, is like a, a, a even close is Escape from New York. Mm. But even that doesn't ha that it does involve a paragraph of explanation. It's the future. New York is a uh, has become a, a prison, yeah. and the, the president has like crashed, and they have to send a guy in to go and get it. Right? It's it's one of the best premises ever, but it's not as clean as this. The bomb, if it drops, it's just so easy to understand, and it's such a fascinating conundrum. The second part of it, not to be slept on, is what do you do? Right? Yeah. What do you do? That. Is I'd want to know what do you do. <laughs> what do you do? That's what the movie is about. Is what do you do to solve a seemingly impossible problem? It is one of the best ideas 
is the best idea ever. And my take on it too is that the the movie is about what is inherent in those four words: pop quiz, hot shot. The movie is about thinking on your feet. Mm-hmm. Stay on or get off. Uh, we're gonna tip over. Everybody get on this side of the bus. There's the airport. Ooh, we can circle the runway. Get off here fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an incline. Floor it. You know, it's about that. And so the fact that that is sort of crystallized in those four words that I spend an entire episode trying to figure out who wrote is kind of awesome. I mean, yeah. I can't think of too many movies where the theme is so baked into its premise in that way. Exactly. And there were there were imitators and emulators of this movie, that, which I'll talk about that at the, end, at the end of the show in terms of its influence, its own influence and legacy apart from Die Hard, albeit sort of running parallel. But why don't we move on to our section about like, let's talk about speed. You've just teed it up beautifully. Speed as an experience. Yeah. The experience of watching this movie. Because this is kind of, this is an experiential movie. It isn't yeah. just a movie. You, you were talking about that off mic. Well, it yeah. was fascinating what you were I saying. I mean, so I, I've seen speed many times, you know. And and one thing that occurred to me in the rewatch, and I rewatched it, I watched it two nights in a row. I watched it the night before last and, and last night. And I like, I had a very emotional experience watching it. Go check it. out his live tweeting session of it. It's <laughs> really was like, <laughs> I love this movie. We cry over action movies Yeah, I watched that and Masters <laughs> We're also of the tired dads. Yeah. So, <laughs> you get it. <laughs> so, one of the things that's so interesting is, about it is that speed, and I mean this in the best way possible, feels longer than it actually is. Like, when you're watching the movie, you're like, oh, and then there's the bit when... you. It's amazing how quickly the things that you just pointed at, you know, the bomb, the, the first bus explodes, he gets on the bus, the guy, thing with the Jaguar, you know, the whole into... The guy gets shot, and he takes over. The, the, the entire sort of sequencing of the movie happens so fast. Yeah. Like, there's not a breath anywhere in this movie, and yet... I feel like I've lived on that bus uh-huh. in the watching of it. And I just had this experience where I was like, I am so present in what's happening that I feel as though I've invented parts of the movie being on the bus. Like I've <laughs> lived it. And yeah. it's and it's really crazy because what? The opening elevator sequence is like a 22 minutes or something yeah, like least, that. Yeah. And then the train stuff, the post bus stuff mm-hmm. is like 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. you're really only on the bus for an About hour. An hour, yeah. yeah. And yet... Every time I watch the movie, I kind of forget that it's not just a movie about a being on a bus. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's – it's uh, Sonia Jackson plays one of the uh, passengers on the bus and she put it to me like when she went to the premiere with her friend. Her friend said she had to just walk around the block to just disperse the energy. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it gets you so amped up. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's part of the reasons – you know, I was saying how it's such a great specimen for analysis. I'm such a fan of craft and how movies are made. And, I mean, that was the goal. Jan wanted this to be experiential. He wanted – and he to- – I just – I can't think of a greater success mm. when you set out to do a certain thing and you literally feel like you lived it when you come off that bus, when you come off that subway. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. One of the things that, you know, we have to, we, I think we're contractually obligated on, on every episode to mention this Paul Verhoeven. He's like, he plays like a big part in our brains and <laughs> so how we love it. So if you're playing Die Hard on a blank bingo, yeah, tick it's like, it off. We just ticked Paul Verhoeven <laughs> off the list. But the fact that like, 
Jan de Bont shot movies for him. They mm-hmm. worked together for so long. And, you know, not to reduce de Bont, of course, but the fact that he shot for Paul Verhoeven, who was so documentary-minded in his early career, you know, his yeah. first films were documentaries. This does feel, at times, like you're watching a documentary. And I don't mean that in a glib way. Like, they capture things that are staged, of course. It's an action movie with a budget. And yet... There are so many moments where all of a sudden you enter the action, like the barber shop. When they're in the barber shop towards the end of the movie watching the drop for uh, the money, DeBont makes this choice to kind of like come from across the barber shop and Mm -hmm. zoom in on Joe Morton Mm -hmm. next to Keanu Reeves. And he kind of turns and hands someone something. I'm like, this looks like the cameraman just turned and captured this. It's It's unbelievable. It's like you're looking through someone's eyes. No, absolutely. Let's talk about this because this is something I think it makes it different than Die Hard. Die Hard is a slick studio movie. There's nothing really slick about speed. It's not pretty, right? D- despite being made by a cinematographer, mm-hmm. the camera's always where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And going back to his collaborations with Jan and just coming up through film school in, in the Netherlands, and these guys were coming off of being really inspired by the French New Wave movement, which is all about just capturing the reality mm-hmm. of mundanity and just the day-to-day and how that can be riveting. And so apply that to action movies, mm-hmm. you get speed. And that's kind of fascinating to me. We've <laughs> talked about this a little bit, like how Tarantino talked about the difference between him and Tony Scott and how uh, he was a he saw himself as a composer of images yeah. and he saw Tony Scott as a selector of images because he would shoot so much footage, right? Now, and this is, it, it, apart from one or two shots, this doesn't feel like a particularly composed movie in terms of its like uh, visual style, mm-hmm. because which goes back to Verhoeven and the fourth man and Jan de Bont's roving camera style and and how that did, that's, you see some of that in Die Hard, but as you say, it's a more, uh, it's a more aesthetically composed picture. Uh, uh, this is more, a more incredibly staged, a visceral reality to it. The theme of the movie with what do you do, like, and everything's happening in a breathless sort of like, like, and by the way, we'll talk about him, but he, nobody th- makes decisions or thinks in a movie quite like Keanu Reeves does in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you just see things passing over his head. And, like, it's extraordinary. I think he's extraordinary in this movie because you see him thinking through quickly everything yeah. and the camera captures that there's a passive quality to the performance that works for the role because mm-hmm. he's a police officer so he's constantly trying to figure something out and who better to watch try to figure stuff out than somebody like keanu reeves i've rarely seen someone more perfectly utilized in an action film oh Absol- he's unbelievable absolutely. well and let's move on to that section then let's right? talk like, about well, it so the sure. sections our next section of anatomy of an action movie is the hero keanu reeves as jack Traven. Why is this character so appealing? Because he feels like somebody you'd meet tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the DNA of Die Hard a little bit, is that everyman quality, I think. He's not like a muscle-bound Arnold. Um, you guys uh, just talked to Nick and I just talked to Nick and Oh, great. Shout out to Nick. Nick had this great point that like when Keanu is standing there with those SWAT guys, he feels like one of the SWAT guys. If Arnold's standing there, everybody's looking at Arnold. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's just something about... It goes back to reality. Mm-hmm. He feels like a a guy that you could meet and, as opposed to some larger-than-life person. And that's the turning point from the material Nick just exhaustively covered in his fantastic book, by the way. Uh, so good. Yeah, in in the action book. movies of the 90s because then you get guys like Nicolas Cage and Will mm-hmm. Smith even. Uh, yeah. Guys that just feel more normal and aren't just 
muscle heads. Denzel Washington. Yeah. He's going to start doing yeah. action movies around the Again, and it, all, it was all the paradigm shift that came after Bruce Willis as, as John, as John right. McClane. Mm-hmm. I think as well, like a couple of, one of the things I love that you zeroed in on, on, on 50 miles per hour was the, the politeness of the character and how that Keanu mm-hmm. found that when he was hanging around the real SWAT guys, they called everyone sir and ma'am. And that suddenly gave him like, now I know who this character is. Or I think that may have come yeah. from... Maybe that was Joss. No, that Whedon was as well. Keanu brought or, that to Joss because okay. he was. They were working on the character together, and they really just wanted to get away from the one-liner thing. And that was something Keanu brought up: was that these guys are only about diffusing a situation, uh, mm. and and how you think about that. If you're Joss, that does completely unlock things for you as a writer. How you're going to depict this guy and how he how he behaves, and it's it's unusual, and it's in it. But it's real. It makes sense, you know. Yeah. What I I love about it is that it's, as again, Die Hard is is similar to this in a different way. It's all about problem solving. It's all about intelligence over brawn. Yeah, they're both incredibly courageous characters, McLean and Jack Traven. But in this film in particular, as we said, it's all what do you do in any given moment? It is constant problem solving. And even Harry and Jack play those games with each other to keep their minds sharp and alleviate the boredom. Hence the the scenario where he plays up with shoot the, 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 the shoot the hostage anecdote. This film is all about intellect. Mm-hmm. You know, even it, it at at like high speed and I fucking it's, love that it's the only way that the hero will succeed uh, in this premise because Dirty Harry on that bus with his gun what's he gonna do right, right. Um, what do you do it's not about so, thuggery I actually would you know? say it's yeah. more than just it's a burgeoning intellect because there's this scene that I love that I think as a, a pers- young person I didn't quite understand and now I get which is when they're celebrating after they went they get the medals mm-hmm. and Daniels is drunk mm-hmm. And he's kind of like, we got lucky. Or, or Morton says, Morton is so good in this oh, movie. Oh, he's amazing. He goes, we got lucky. And uh, Dan was like, yeah, we got lucky. And I forget what Keanu says, but he goes, do you even listen? Like, <laughs> And he's like, because I'm, and he says, because I'm not going to be around to back you up. Mm-hmm. Gods will only get you so far and then they'll get you killed. Yep. And to me, it's like, that's sort of the like, if we're like using traditional screenwriting, that's like, the, the the kickoff of the hero's it's journey, his, yeah. right? It's a because point. he has to earlier in the film, he's all like, "Let's save these people." Like he's always t- making these proactive choices, but they're all coming like yeah. kind of from his like, "I'm the tough guy." They're coming more from thing, ego, right? Where he he's has like to a get gung ho cowboy yeah. at first, which is really cool. He's chewing the gum. He's yeah. just kind of like zero fucks, but he wants to be a hero. But it, there's a sort of re- slightly recklessness to it. Yeah, but that yeah. scene is absolutely key because thereafter his actions are completely different. His the tenor of his, you know, the way he that he relates to, cool. to people, yeah. you know, is, well, it's a, a great is empathetic and professional. It's a great contrast to the scene when um, Ortiz and the other guy are arguing mm-hmm. and he just looks, he like shuts everybody up and then he just looks at everybody yeah. and it's like he calms it down by not saying anything, yeah. by not escalating it, like you said. And you can see him making decisions to be a leader in those moments. One of my favorite tweets of all time, by the way, is someone put that scene up where they're barking at each other and someone was like, this this scene is Twitter in a nutshell. <laughs> um, but, but no, one of the people I spoke to, brilliant guy, Alex Papadimus, wrote a book about oh, yeah. Keanu Reeves uh, called Keanu Reeves Most Triumphant that you should absolutely uh, read if you haven't. And I think I'm a smart guy, but I had never thought about the movie in these terms. And what you just brought up is sort of what he was laying out, how the movie is about Jack Traven learning to be 
cool yeah to, you know yeah. to just ch- chill and and disarm the situation and it's funny because that entire first you know the elevator sequence is the one thing that throughout development never really changed so mm. you can see the dna of late 80s brawny action in that the gum the kind of cocksure stuff and the rest of the script is what really developed further and it's it makes the movie the pivot point, really, between the 80s and the 90s. Well, he's glib in that scene because he even yeah. says, um, there's anything else that will stop this elevator from falling? You're yeah, the, the basement. basement. Yeah. Like, that, that's a very, that's quite a callous, yeah. glib thing to say. Yeah. He's not like that on the bus. Yeah. He's deeply concerned about the preservation of human life and de-escalation. That's a good it's point. It's almost like a game for him in the elevator sequence. Uh-huh. But after that speech from Harry, that's what this film really is. Oh, my gosh, this film is fucking amazing. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> Right. This film is fucking amazing. <laughs> Chris is like, yeah, I, I agree. All right. So why don't we talk about our second Wait, one hero. One thing I just want to say, oh, my, my absolute favorite line is when he goes, Mac, we're boned. Oh, it's <laughs> just, so good. I, that. I use that. I don't know if the episode's aired yet, but I, I'm, I'm kind of laying out a quick chronology as I'm going through some stuff. And I'm like, soon enough, they're boned. And then blah, 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 blah. Oh, Ian, it's, it's so just, good. He's just, he's so, so, so It is the so perfect good. synchronicity of character and actor at the perfect moment in their yeah. career. What I did find strange was how everyone on your on your podcast, how all of these execs and all these casting people are like, we don't know if they'll buy Keanu as an action hero. And I'm like, did you not see Point Break? Yeah, Why aren't people giving Point Break here's more my, credence? Here's where I get argumentative. I don't you think know? Point Break is an action movie. But part of that is because I, I probably just want Speed to be the beginning of his action career. Speed is obviously the movie that made him a worldwide superstar. I think of Point Break and it's like, to me, it's not an action movie in the same way that Heat isn't an action movie. Mm. It's that weird kind of gray area for action where the stuff would be at the action section and blockbuster, but you're like, oh, really? Obviously, there's a- there's extreme sports and like some cool action scenes. That I don't think The Fugitive is an action movie. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, uh, I have a question though. So is it the like is it the because I think about Point Break and Man in this way that it's like there's like a romance to the relationship between the two yeah. men and it's like yeah. almost a drama with action out. Like I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like Point Break is like. More about vibes, yeah. like than it is necessarily the bank robbers. I mean, I would just say, like, action. it's in my opinion, it's an action thriller, yeah. with, and within some of the most exhilarating, like, dynamic action sequences, especially the chases, and it also has an experiential quality to it, right? Yeah. Like that foot yeah. chase, um, the the way that Bigelow shoots that, like, point of view, head on, it. it brings you into the headspace of the characters and then jumping out the plane, some of which was done for real with Swayze actually kind of doing that and stuff. Plus he's sort of a hotshot jock cop. So to me, I do find it slightly mystifying that there was like any doubt that Keanu could do this. Mm, but but I, it tells your point you how, is well taken. Well, first of all, it tells you how Point Break has grown in stature. I think maybe at the time the, the, the kind of specter of Bill and Ted was too great. Yeah. And what's funny to me is they all say, oh, he's too young. He's too young. Meanwhile, the guy they wanted to play him was Charlie Sheen. Yeah, yeah. Who I think was yeah. a year older or mm-hmm. something. I can't remember exactly. That's what you but, said. Yep. But yeah, like that just tells you how much Keanu was just perceived as a kid. Right, yeah. And, and I can kind of see that, but I, I think it would have been a mistake because if you look at like Charlie in, in Navy SEALs, very glib character, can do action, but just wouldn't have had the, what we're talking about now that actually unconsciously makes this, makes you truly love this character because he isn't glib or flippant yeah. in the way that I think Charlie Sheen would 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 have been. Yeah. But let's move on to our Speaking section about the romance. other hero. The other hero in this movie. 
right? It's not just romance, I would say. There is obviously a romance. But this but is maybe the greatest romance of all time. I don't know what to say. I'm with the with no sex on screen. In this movie is is also the second the second hero. And really, you know, we we we've sometimes ha- we carve out this section sometimes where we talk about the leading lady and often there frankly from this era somewhat passive damsels in distress yeah. what's this is the is i think this is the best female character female leads that we have done on this show we've had some good ones like um an archer in narrow margin mm-hmm. you know was a really good one but she's not really driving the action it's just a great performance in a great yeah. drama that is also it's quite a similar movie actually it's all on the train quite a kinetic movie but i think this is the best um the, the best female character we've had in, had in a movie why do we love sandra bullock as annie in this movie so much because we love sandra bullock yeah. if if i don't think anything would be more heartbreaking than to find out one day that sandra bullock was a gigantic asshole like she is such a delight and so and and, and apparently has been throughout her career i mean i've interviewed her a couple of times but I've got this episode coming up where I talk to all the passengers as I was talking about, and you will, that is a Sandra Bullock love fest. Yeah. I mean, they adored her. I don't know. It's intan- It's both tangible and intangible, I guess. I mean, she's just, it, 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 she oozes uh, pleasantry. Mm-hmm. And, and, I don't, and realness. She feels very she's real. She's very real, yeah. I mean, there's that girl next door, America's Sweetheart thing, sure, but it's just. That 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 is a singular personality in the history of movies, and oh, yeah. she really brings it. It really comes to life in this movie. I want to just ask you about something specifically about the evolution of this character, because and I think it actually perfectly illustrates your point. Because there were other iterations of this character that yeah. did other professions, right? One yeah. of which is basically a spin-off for Michael Bay's ambulance to some extent, yeah. right? Like was it it was an ambulance driver, yeah. female ambulance driver named uh, Darlene at one Darlene. point, which is also my wife's name. And she loves this movie. <laughs> um so I wanted to just uh give her a shout out. But what can you tell us about the evolution of this character? Because yeah. in, in a way, there's almost nothing there. We know nothing about Annie's backstory. Uh, uh, we know apart from the fact she went to University of Arizona, which is more of a like a plot point. We don't know what she did. We don't know what her profession is. I think it's uh, it's completely stripped down and it's just all Sandra Bullock's charm. Yeah. But can you just tell us about how it reached this point and the other iterations? Yeah. Well, she was an ambulance driver. The thing was Graham was trying to figure out, trying to figure something out the whole time, which was how is she going to be so good at driving this bus? Mm. So there was early drafts when it was in development at Paramount. This stuff got weeded out. It was a much darker script. There was a lot of stuff about addiction and... You know, Jack had hurt his knee in the beginning, and so he was on pain pills the whole time. And Darlene was an ex-addict ambulance driver. And the story is they went out to Halle Berry. She said no and regretted it ever since. Uh, But that was when they were trying to cast big in this role and maybe put someone lesser than in the Jack Trevin role. So it started there. He also thought about making her comedian who teaches a who teaches a stand-up driving school i mean just nonsense not just again Very trying to convoluted. figure out how to, trying to make her why would she be funny and why would she drive yeah. oh she's a stand-up comedian who t- teaches a driving school like yeah. you know just <laughs> crazy stuff nose. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um and that stuff got weeded out again that was still in there a month before production yeah. i mean this stuff really came together in the final hours and Ultimately, the character, you wouldn't know this except for a, a deleted scene, is a graphic designer. You know, what Just what else would you – I mean, it doesn't matter, but that that's what she is. And and so it's funny. There's a story Laurie McDonald tells about 
she came up with the line, you know, I've had my license revoked. Why? For speeding. So it's just it's like something to throw in there to explain why she'd be adept at doing this. <laughs> but then uh, that's all you need. And and really nobody has a backstory. You don't really know anything about Jack other than what you see in the first act, you know? Sometimes, yeah, character is action. It's just how yeah. this character behaves right. in this situation defines their character. It, how it, It's not relevant that she's a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. It's not relevant. Like It is interesting. I do like she says that lovely line that does feel like a rom-com line when Sam lets her on the bus and she says, like, you're a good kind man and one day people will write songs about you. Yeah, yeah. You know? She has the cigarette. It's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also just that was apparently a debate, her? by the way. Really? I've not put this into the podcast. I haven't really found out where... where there's nowhere to really throw in the soundbite, but that was a discussion. Should she smoke or not? Oh, interesting. Well, she barely <laughs> Subtly smoked. enough you know, that you never actually really see it. But yeah. When you were talking about the gum, the improvisation of the gum, yeah. like, I... I I'm so, like, this movie lives so rent-free in my head that I literally out loud in my kitchen was like, I got gum on my seat. Gum. Gum. <laughs> we say that every five minutes in our in our house. Not because there's literally gum on the seat, yeah, just because yeah. we love yeah. we love that line. But Liam, talk about this then as a as a obviously she's an amazing as an individual character, but as you've just alluded to, this is also an incredible romance. But- well, yeah. I mean, there's a, my favorite shot in this movie is the shot towards the end when they when they literally exit the bus going on the uh the the the, the sort of panel underneath it and they slide under sure, and they're yeah. they're wrapped in each other's arms and the score swells in a way that it it never swells anywhere else in the movie and to me it's like I find it very moving for a variety of reasons because like there's three moments in this movie where they're sort of clasped in each other one is when they go over the they go over the jump and he kind of just covers her and then there's this moment and then there's the moment at the end when they hold each other on the train and it's like the first one is like him protecting her. The second one is him protecting her. But the third one is like they're they're in love. Like this is a great love story, but I like it as a love story because it's driven I, they literally say it. Like relationships based on stressful situations don't last, which is really interesting, but there's all these things that happen in the movie where they really get to know each other, where, you know, she he learns her name. He learns that she was speeding. Like mm-hmm. they're strategizing through things. And then there's this great moment when he gets on that thing to go under the bus to try to disarm the bomb, and he's and I watched it three times, and he's about to go under, and she's such a good actress because she makes it about two things. One, she makes it about like, oh my God, I'm driving this bus and I'm gonna kill this guy and I just met him and like, I've been on this bus for three hours. And like you forget as an audience member, these people don't know each other, right? Mm-hmm. And that I think is just amazing. I think this is a great movie about the community of LA as a whole, just Absolutely. as a side note. Like it feels intrinsic to the city. I- but this specific relationship, she says, oh my God, he is crazy. And Sandra Bullock <laughs> is such a good actress that she's like, I'm kind of into this guy. He's kind of into me. But he's going under a bus. She's clocking just- this. Yeah, she's clocking it. <laughs> And then he disarms the bomb and he pulls himself up and they're leaking gas. And it's like it's like watching someone make a look, you know, there's a sequel to this movie that he's not in. So like we could we could debate the the fictional whatever. For the purpose of today, that there is an exist. No sequel to this movie. Yeah, no. I know. I was yeah. Normally I'm the guy that says that. But there's something beautiful about the fact that like it's as much about their relationship. Yeah. And that moment when they slide off the bus and there's that it really is very, very moving to me because I'm 100%. like it's an action it's an action movie that like also is a great like 
reductive to say like a meat cute. Like it really no, works absolutely. on that level, and I just think it's ex- extraordinary. There's a reason where we are all Keanu Sandra shippers to yeah. this day. You know, I, I somebody tweeted a, a nice thread the other day um, about this. How the movie is sort of. I wish I could remember specifically what they said, but the essence of it was that it takes rom-com beats and applies them to action yeah. film. Mm. And when you start to think about it in those terms, it's absolutely true. And what's funny, obviously not willful, nobody sat down to write this screenplay and said, I'm going to place a rom-com beat into this. You know, right. th- That's not how it was structured, but it's how it came out in the sort of uh, you know alchemy of making it. Right. It is just I just I just think that that is absolutely incredible and I totally agree. I mean yeah. that the moment yeah with the when the music soars and they slide out I get choked up just talking about it. I mean that it's... cue is prominently used in the Braveheart trailer. Go back and watch it. Wait, really? Yeah. Whenever he throws the sword, you know, and it goes flying through the air, that's the, swell that's is, the speed score. It does right something there. to your heart and yeah. soul. That, yeah. that piece of music. The addition of the strings. It's really extraordinary. It and, it, and by the way, just a quick second on Mark Mancina's score. It, this is one of the best action movie scores or movie oh. scores, period, like that there's ever been. It, it really contributes to just how exhilarating this film is from the from the beginning. Even the credits are like. Get you it's kind of a gift to the pod. I mean, of course, that it begins with that every time because you're immediately like, I'm in speed. You know <laughs> totally, what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, it's really, I mean, it's incredible. It's it's incredible. He was just hanging out in Hans Zimmer's shop, one of his kind of team of guys that worked there, and, and Hans suggested him. And <sighs> That's amazing. Uh, there, there, there's a story about how they wanted Michael Kamen, um, oh, naturally. Die hard fame. Yes. And, uh, but, but Jan really wanted Mark. Um, my guess is Mark was cheaper, but but uh, w- yeah, th- it's such a creative score, and there will be an episode down the line oh, where I dive great. deep I can't into wait that. For that. Yeah, I, I yeah, it's it's an it's a remarkable. I feel like everyone's getting a good score. preview of where the podcast. Yeah, this this is going. this this podcast is now a preview of all things to come on Fifty Miles Per Hour. That's amazing. <laughs> well, let's talk things, about yeah. like the, the episode that you know that you just did when not when this aired, but we just because it'll be a, a minor delay. But I just listened to your amazing tee up episode uh, about the villain mm-hmm. uh, of this movie, uh, Dennis Hopper as Howard Payne. And it, it, this was fascinating to hear about how difficult this part was to cast, how it had various iterations. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to just talk briefly about yeah. that 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 journey and what led up to Dennis Hopper? And then I have a specific question for you guys about his performance. It's quite a journey because it – and again, this was – the case all the way up until a month before they shot, Harry was the villain for the longest time, was revealed mm. to be the bad. I mean, there was a bomber the for the Daniels elevator. Character. Yes. For the elevator sequence at the beginning, there was this guy named Rudy. It was a really bad character and sort of hung as a specter that Jack was like paranoid about throughout the movie. But then it turns out, no, your partner was ends up being the guy with the bus plot. So the elevator plot and the bus plot end up being two different things. <laughs> And Walter Parks made the suggestion, no, it should just be one guy the whole way through and a separate guy. And so that's Mm. how it came to be Howard Payne. Now they have this villain they want to cast, and they don't cast him until two weeks into production. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, as Mark Gordon says in that that episode, he's out there on the freeway, buses flying by him. He's on the phone with the studio. How about this guy? How about that guy? And they wanted whoever was more most famous who hadn't said no yet um, for the money. And there was like no reason for anyone to do it. Do you and know how much the money was? Sorry. I actually don't. Okay. I actually don't. But I'm sure it was less than what Keanu got and we know what Keanu got. Yeah. So um, I say I'm sure, but who knows? You know what? 
I'm going to track that down. Oh, oh wow. But Because yes. uh, I've never thought to even dig into that. But uh, because it's not like I can go ask Dennis Hopper. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Uh, just the goat. But um, the list of names they went to for this thing is out of control. I mean, Robert Duvall, Jeff Bridges, Sean Penn, Gary Oldman, Alan Rickman. Uh, I love Joss Whedon's pitch for Charles Grodin. Incredible. I mean, yeah, that was fascinating. God. I would yeah. be. It would have been can, different. I can kind of see it. Yeah. It's. It's. But. But. And so Dennis. I mean, the big. The big note here is Christopher Walken would have done it. He was shooting the prophecy, and he just wanted to take take a break before shooting again, and they couldn't do it. And he was like, "Well, I'm not going to do it then." Can you imagine? Like that's how close this came. Well, what I Pop found. Quiz. Oh, don't really? do it because I was going to do it. <laughs> well, I, I, I've thought about this before. Like, can you imagine that speech from Christopher Walken? <laughs> please, please, please do it. As a bomb do on a bus. I don't. I don't have a good Chris Walken. That was great. On a bus. On a bus. What do you do? What I thought was really interesting about that though was that although Walken would be fascinating and it's always like fascinating, Debont felt he had death in his eyes. And I think it's really, really interesting he, uh, uh, that uh, Wal- Walken? Walken did. That's why he didn't. We wasn't as keen on that casting, mm, right, to quote yeah. what, what came up in your show. And I think that is such – that was so astute because with – Keanu is playing a very stoic, controlled, contained character. You need something that is a different energy. And then you have Hopper, wild, manic, Unrestrained, Amazing. alive, a twinkle so in his alive, eye. a twinkle in his eye. Exactly. I think Keanu said that himself, right? Yeah. He, they really drew that. Those kind of subtleties are so huge when you talk. But to use your word again, the alchemy yeah. of casting, right? You need like different, different shades, different energies, different tonalities. They all need to be ultimately cohesive, but. It had to be a strong contrast to what Keanu was doing in this movie. So for me, this was like the perfect guy. And what I also thought was so interesting in the most recent, the, the most recent episode I listened to, which was the first one about about Dennis Hopper, was how he talked about how he shaded this character so that you could understand him a little, see him as like yeah. a, a sad character. He talks was, about Keanu as his son or something. Yeah, that was so yeah. interesting. You really don't sleep on the fact that like this isn't. Just just Hopper rocking up and being Hopper, right? Yeah. Like he's actually carved thoughtful. out a very thoughtful, shaded, nuanced before. Like I love the bit where, where Keanu says to him, like, they think you're bullshit. And he's like, they don't, don't. think mm-hmm. that. And you yeah. actually feel like he feels very insecure and belittled mm. by that. It's a brilliant performance that has a lot more sophistication than you might think. There's a moment in the movie when he's talking to Jack on the phone and Jack doesn't respond to him. And he says, Jack, Jack. Like he has this yeah. like moment of weakness and then it escalates into aggression, not suddenly. And if you don't know what I mean, just go back and look at yeah. that and how he plays that. I, I, I'm sure it wasn't something he actively thought of, but I've always been taken with that reading for some reason because it's like Jack, Jack, because he, he feels like he's losing control for a minute and then he grabs control again. And yeah, there's just little things like that. Throughout the performance, I, I talked to Mark Harris at length about oh, uh, wait. De- Dennis Hopper, and uh, Mark makes the point that he understood that this role was not a plunge into darkness, that the, and, and that was kind of what it needed. Uh, there's just a spark that, I mean, again, they cast this two weeks in. He was the joke from Mark Gordon, number 44 on the list. Like, they weren't looking at it him. Should have been number one. They got the best person. Absolutely. They got the best person in 
all three of these roles, yep. and I would even add Jeff Daniels. I think Absolutely. there's something just and perfectly. And Joe Morton, too. Joe Morton oh, is Jesus. incredible. Yeah. Oh, my God. I well, love that guy. My wife's who, but by the way, this is one of, I've watched a lot of movies for this podcast, but like my wife is like, are you putting on speed? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, again? I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay, I'll watch. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> what happened to us like a few months ago, because I was actually saving this for, for the show and, and I bought the 4K and everything and I was sitting on it, but it came on like TNT or something. And I said to my wife, oh, it's a shame we're going to have to like, you know, we, we it's a shame this is on because, you know, we'll have to turn it off. And she was like, why, why would we turn yeah, that off? And we a... watched the whole thing. <laughs> <It's> an <absolute laughs> and watch. you just you can't, it watching. just sucks you in. It was on USA the other night. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. Just, I saw you tweeted uh, that. I have a specific moment I want to talk about with Dennis Hopper, mm -hmm. uh, which there's two. One is I love the detail of him eating peanut butter and jelly and drinking Coke and watching football. <laughs> I just think it like humanizes him in this and way. him trying like, to open that Coke yeah, with some difficulty because of his too thumb. Much caffeine, guys. I'm a little yeah. worried about him. Yeah. And two, the moment when he goes, interactive TV, Jack, That's wave so, at the future. So and then funny. he looks at the camera. He <laughs> almost buzzes the camera. Mm -hmm. And I think what he's actually looking at is like one of the screens on the table. But it's like a moment that's so weird we were like whoa did Dennis Hopper just look at the did he just camera? get meta on us yeah did he just get meta <laughs> on us and I like weirdly just I don't mean I don't ultimately what an artist. think so what but it's an, artist it's an incredible was, moment where you feel like this guy's looking at you and you're like that would appear to be a Paul Atanasio line by really? the way really yeah. just such a fascinating moment very Verhoeven if he's actually <laughs> that's two for Verhoeven ding 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 <laughs> let's obligation. move on to our section about the action of this, uh, uh, this there's movie. not much to talk about here yeah, yeah. Right. well here's, here's what I want to here's what I want to say hours. here's what I want to say we'll keep, we can keep this relatively brief but I have a specific question I look at some people have said like they feel like this movie if you were being critical which if you are you know um, you're on the list but uh <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Talk about taking Has a anyone dark seen my list? <laughs> It's getting it's like increasingly Steve long. Steve putting on the um, lipstick. There. Especially <laughs> at the moment. Um, the... Uh, some people feel like this movie ends when the bus ends. Tarantino actually yeah. talked about that in his episode on the rewatch about the Unstoppable, right? Some people have that feeling. I don't feel that. I would equate this movie thus. It's a great three-course meal. Mm. You have an amazing starter with the elevator sequence. You have an incredible entree on the bus, and then you get a dessert with the subway train. Yeah. So and the, in the in the in the kind of screwdriver or knife in the head at the beginning is like the amuse bouche. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Now my so that's getting what put are on your, social media. That clip. I don't right want to list I don't want to list them all unless you want me to because I think we all know the movie well enough. But what are your favorite What's your favorite action scene or action sequence? I was thinking about this on the drive over. Uh, you, you would want to say the jump. Um, I think it is the derailment of the subway train. Because going back to my, mm. my thoughts on just being such a fan of craft, what went into achieving that? And this will be a whole dissection later down the line. But just briefly... <sighs> You know, the, the, the sort of fight on top of the subway, they shot that down in Downey at an aircraft manufacturing facility mm. with rear screen projection, just exquisite. Wow, it doesn't look massive. It yeah, because yeah. ma it was a gigantic, immersive, curved screen. Oh, wow. Like, I've, I don't think they ever did a, a, a reverse projection, a rear projection uh, of this scale. There's a lot of, like, excellent just... It looks amazing. Well, in Terminator 2 is kind of the example of, like, the stuff you would sort of discover was rear projection in that movie is just exquisite. But this movie, for this sequence, they did that. Then you've got the the actual derailment, which is model subway cars that they built 
and mm. shot. Uh, I did this interview with a guy named Dave Drawicki, who was the visual effects director of photography that shot that sequence with Jan. So you've got that. And then you've got the full-scale bus. It's actually a bus to look like a made to look like a subway train coming out onto Hollywood Boulevard. So these three chunks and, and just me being just a geek and a fan of film craft, understanding what went into achieving that, I think that's probably my favorite sequence when I really think about it, it's, that's a different way of it being my favorite than as as a, an audience member, what's more visceral and thrilling when I'm watching the movie. But just knowing what went into all of that just really gets me going. That's, yeah. What about you, Liam? Well, I will come back to that. Just the specific moment when they exit the bus is probably my favorite moment in the movie. But I want to talk a little bit about the elevator because I think the elevator gets short Yeah, we need to shrift. talk about that. And I think one of the reasons the elevator gets short shrift, and I think this applies to Die Hard, is that there are eight people on that elevator, something like that, and I feel like I know every single one of them. Like, I love the moment. I wrote down this at the beginning. I hope this isn't crass, but, like, that woman who taps the guy on the shoulder, the blonde lady who Mm -hmm. taps the guy on the shoulder and the guy on the elevator is, like, you know instantly that she's in a relationship with this guy, that something's mm-hmm. going on between them, that like, the, thanks for pushing that, Bob. You know, the light, yeah, maybe, yeah, like yeah. just the dynamics between people are so clearly defined. And like, you know when you get on an elevator and there are people that know each other on the elevator and they have some kind of in-joke and they say something and you as a non-member of the group is kind of like, I don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like you immediately just feel like these people are real and they there's a dynamic on this elevator as opposed to like a bunch of anonymous people on an elevator. Like that's what getting in and off in an, of, a, of an elevator in a multi-purpose building is like. Like mm-hmm. it just – it is hard to Ian in the sense that you're like all of these people are individual people and they feel like real people. And so when they're trapped in the elevator, despite them fa- having very little actual screen time, I'm like this is great action movie acting this is great action movie casting because like the dynamics of these people are present and by the way some of those folks are just friends of producers Uh, exactly like like, but they're amazing i've talked to a couple of them i haven't didn't do as exhaustive a thing as i did with the bus passengers but uh yeah i mean that that sequence is so good and and jan crushes that Mm -hmm. just just Mm -hmm. the, the way he shot it and that was a precarious situation the way because they built an elevator shaft over there on the uh, Fox lot and what there, th- that was a more j- dangerous sequence than anything else shot in the movie. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just because of how I don't want to say cavalier, but just like <laughs> camera assistants and guys that rack focus, they're nuts anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and they're out there walking out onto beams without like eye hooks holding yeah. them back oh and stuff. Like, there was a lot of just safety stuff. Yeah, that, that like stresses made me people out. clinch. Yeah. Oof. But uh, it's it and the guy in the way that elevator is being operated, it's by a guy looking at like a monitor way up top with no, he didn't even have a monitor. He was just sort of gauging it on like a radio and was sort of dropping it with this crane whenever they would tell him to drop it, like no, drop it a little more, drop it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's crazy how they like, you wouldn't do shit like this at all. It today. wouldn't go over no. well. And I think you know to, to uh, along with that. Jan de Bont, who we haven't, like, sung his praises enough yes, here, I think. Yes. But I can just see, you know, these people show up. They're working for, like, a couple days, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it is. And some of them are not actually actors. So you have to imagine that he as a director is going up to them being, like, you two are in a relationship. Like, you 
you really want to have sex Very with this guy right now? Very Tiernan-esque in that well, respect. Yeah. Like how small small characters characters with small roles pop and die well, hard, I mean, He right? just clearly makes a choice to be like, let's have a conversation about that dynamics among this. It's not just, hey, get on the elevator and be scared. It's like this guy, you know, is ser- uh, senior to this guy, so he makes the joke about the elevator and he just goes, mm-hmm. shut up. Like they don't like each other. The woman it's who's Patrick running the Patrick Fischler, probably the most yeah. famous guy yeah, on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you just feel like he took 10 minutes or 15 yeah, minutes yeah, to just, be like, you know, this is the dynamic. Yeah. I, I, it's it's, it's, it's great. It's one, one of my favorite shots in the movie is in that sequence, which is the shot when Howard Payne disappears behind uh, the door. I think he's escaping to the parking lot and it blows up and Keanu is blown backwards in slow yeah. motion. Yeah. I had, I'd never seen anything like that. Mm. And I remember, I remember seeing the trailer for this movie. I was on holiday with my parents. I think I would have been like 13 and it was in a bar in like some Spanish island with no sound. But just it was like a top ten movies at the U.S. box office, and I saw some of, some of these images from Speed, and that was one. And they were just so like striking and mm. revolutionary. And I remember mm. just thinking, like, what is this movie, and how do I see it as fast as humanly possible? That was one of the shots. I mean, the other thing I would just say about the action in this movie, every single sequence is a five star sequence. Yeah, you know, you've and got- they even cut a couple that they wrote and they prepped. Wow. Yeah. Like what? Well, <laughs> the greatest one is this thing called the Baker sequence, which was they were going to have a – in the story, they were going to have a helicopter come in and a cop was going to come in and land on top of the bus and try oh, to get on. To do, so so they were going to have that happen. And wh- wh- the, the, the way it was going to go was he comes down. He just touches down on the bus. He looks up and there's an overpass coming. And he's <gasps> like, take me up, take me up. And he pulls him up. And just as they pull him up, he clears the overpass. Then a truck comes by carrying panes of glass. Oh, my God. And he plows through it and just gets shredded. Oh, my God. And they prepped it and they were going to shoot it and everything. It wasn't just like in the script. They, I've got, I think I've seen storyboards mm-hmm. of it. Like they were going to do it. And they just – stunt coordinator Gary Himes makes the point, let's do one or two or three things perfect instead of go that extra mile for a few more where you're just sort of watering it down. Well, there you go. That's the that's wow. the philosophy of the entire film encapsulated in one in mm-hmm. one yeah, nugget that's true. In, a, in a sense. Let's do let uh, that's what it is. It's three perfect like extended action sequences yeah. if you like mm. in a three in a beautiful three act structure. And it was know? called the Baker sequence because that was the name of the character who was going to be lowered down. That's really yeah. interesting. Wow. Um, so the action's pretty good. I pretty good. We, yeah, not pretty too good. bad. It's okay. it's it would right. almost be glib to be like, let's break them all down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other thing, the other piece, uh, the final piece of the puzzle for our anatomy of an action movie is the humor in this film. For for This is a hilariously funny film, much like Die Hard, right? The humor is almost nonstop in this film. It's a yeah. huge part of the entertainment factor, yet it never becomes close to being an action comedy. The stakes are always deadly serious. What are your favorite moments of humor in this film? Because it's a real smorgasbord of it's yeah. a it's a it's a laugh riot for a film about like domestic <laughs> a laugh terrorism. Riot raised Phil Gawthorn. <laughs> I'm gonna say two words: Glenn Plummer. Yeah, uh, Glenn Plummer's the Jaguar driver. Oh, he's and incredible. Uh, you guys are getting a good preview of what's to come actually on this because I've, I've got him coming up, and Amazing. that guy is fantastic. He's been in so much. He was in Colors. He was in Strange <laughs> Days. Strange Days. Great. Showgirls. Yeah. Paul Verhoeven. Uh, you Three. know, <laughs> he, he's he's just a great actor, and he was really good in this movie called South Central. Um, that oh, was, I've seen South was Central, supposed yeah. to be his sort of like awards breakout thing, and Warner Brothers kind of 
screwed the release on it and he wanted to get away from those kinds of movies and so he took this role in speed he's like oh whatever i'll do this and that dude is hilarious i mean to me the funniest part of the movie is is, well joe morton saying everybody's fired everybody's fucking fired is is up there but the way glenn Plummer (laughs) says take the phone kills me yeah and there's a story you get on the bus (laughs) yeah yeah you get on the bus that whole bit kills me and in the the take the phone thing was sort of not meant to be played that way and we owe Jan for that because Glenn wasn't really coming down on where he wanted it and Jan was just like just tell him to take the fucking phone like take the play phone. the irony of the situation of what's going on you just ripped his door off you're just fed up and so he's like all right I'll just read it that way take the phone and it's the funniest part of the movie oh absolutely that in the moment when he goes there's a bomb on the fuck <laughs> there's a bomb on the fuck yeah. when you talk about making an impact oh, he's, he's so in it for good. like probably less, less maybe three minutes mm-hmm. and, and it feels longer it Again, feels like he's I in it for like 15 I mean, he's minutes he's in the movie for 20 minutes yes. and I mean so that good. in the best way like he's you brilliant. get to know him you I know who that. he is I love that and he's then he really shows good. up by the way only person in the world who had a good time on speed 2 and we'll talk about that later. Oh, cool. Uh, but but uh, I always mix up the moment. You know, he he, he writes this, the thing and, and holds it up and then it flies up to the windshield, right? I always confuse that with the moment in uh, La- uh, Last Boy Scout. Yes, like, it's very similar. I'm drawing him a picture. Yeah, and he's yeah, right, yeah. He's like, what, it, can't, it looks like an look apple like with lines coming out of it. And he, and he writes B-O-M. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, that yeah. movie is up there for me. Yeah, we, oh, we, we did. We did you guys have done that one. Dive. Three hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. we didn't. Yeah, we, we, we love maybe it. Phil's favorite thing yeah, that's ever so happened good. is that movie. Yeah, it's incredible. Shall we put on our tuxedos? Let's put on our tuxedos. I do want to just throw out Sandra Bullock's uh, get his legs, grab his legs when she's talking about. But like, also get like your the, ass behind the yellow line get as your well. Ass behind the yellow line. <laughs> and there's it's something crass so about funny. when he's down on his knees and she's he's like, no, no, it's clean, and she's I, like, yeah, huh? it's weird. It's, it's funny, weird but it's moment. crass. It's very crass. Yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah, didn't mean sure. it that way. No, That's but just it's situational humor. You don't have to this defend it. I do have to defend it. I do have to defend it. Let's just you know, I don't want to. I don't want to taint anything. Just how it is so weird. Like the whole situation is just so weird, and this is it's, a movie that it's almost like an absurdist comedy in, in, in a crazy yeah, way. You absolutely. Know? Is All it right. award time? It is. Right, so let's put on our tuxedos. we're going to put on our put tuxedos. On our SWAT team suits. We're going to head to the Die Hard Oscars, aka okay. the Action Movie Awards. So I'm going to read out uh, the nominees that I identified, and you guys can um, can vote or add an additional one. All right. Um, so our first category is the John McClane Yippee-ki-yay Award for Best Line. Oh God, this could take which 20 minutes. Got a, these were the few that I selected. The nominees are Shoot the Hostage, <laughs> Pop Quiz Hot Shot. I think it's over. Um, I love Don't Get Dead. What a catchphrase. Mm, that's a good one. I love mm, that's that. That's a good one. Um, he brings it back twice, doesn't he? He does. Um, that's Morton. Poor yeah. people are crazy, Jack. I'm eccentric. Um... <laughs> And uh, the final uh, button of, uh, I'm, I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter than you. Yeah. Well, I'm taller. I'm taller. What about Do you Mac- have a pick or, an, or, or a, from those or an additional line to throw in that's your favorite line of this movie? Of those, I would, I would sort of stand up for I'm taller just because a lot of people hate it because it's like a one-liner quip. But it's like when he finally drops the kind of, uh, killed this guy finally, and he yeah. says I'm taller and it works. I would write in... Um, do you know what a bomb is, Jack? <laughs> Your life is empty because you stopped the bomb from becoming. I, that's that's like dude just stepped off the set of Apocalypse Now. Oh yeah, and delivered a line. 
that whole bit's good for me. Yeah. So my pick was literally, do you know what a bomb that doesn't go off is, bomb Jack? That doesn't it's go a off. cheap yeah. gold watch. Like, that's yeah. it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because... This is not a movie that necessarily, like, you spend so much time in action or whatever mm-hmm. that to get this distillation of Hopper's philosophy, mm-hmm, which, mm-hmm. like, in a way, as a human being, you can sort of relate. Like, I spent my whole life doing this, and all I got was a cheap gold watch. Mm-hmm. Like, it's powerful, right? And, like, it it's powerful. And also, you, you know, you mentioned earlier when when he says, uh, they think you're bullshit. And he says, mm-hmm. they don't think that. It reminds me of the moment in The Dark Knight when someone says, like, to the Joker, you're crazy. And he goes, no, I'm not yes. like like the Very conviction yeah. of the villain. The villain having when they have conviction thin skin, makes sense. I yeah. love when a villain has thin skin and gets pricked. And they seem sort of invulnerable. Yeah. It's very psychologically interesting. Well, in the way that a villain can be right in ideas, but wrong in how they they manage those things. Well, you, under, you do really understand that character. That's, that's a great choice, by the way. That's a mm-hmm. I, I, I that's a beautiful disagree. moment because what he's saying is he's expressing how he feels useless now that yeah. he has no thumb and he's had to retire and whatever his life was uh, is is done. And so he's saying, you know what a bomb is? It doesn't explode. It's a cheap gold watch. It's useless. It's yep. nothing. Yep. It's a ticking clock. So that's all it for is. for himself, right? And like, so, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. great. And I think that, the, I mean, of your choices, though, I mean, Pop Quiz Hot Shot is like the most important. Pop Quiz Hot Shot is great. But again, I would stand up for I'm Taller. I, I, yeah. I, I laughed in the theater. <laughs> also, just a very quick, Mac, we're boned. I Mac, just, we're boned. <laughs> it's such a surfer dude moment. It's great. <laughs> So our next award is the Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for stealing the film. Many nominees. Many nominees. Yeah, Uh, I've got five here: Dennis Hopper as Howard Payne, Sandra Bullock as Annie, Joe Morton as Mac, Glenn Plummer as Maurice, aka Toon Man. I believe they named him in the sequel. He didn't have a name in this one. Is that right? Did they name him I, in the sequel? I think so. I mean, I, I truly blocked it. And I've When's just, the 50 episode speed to Christmas? <laughs> 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 yeah, well, it's right. actually like Next 27 season. kilometers or knots <laughs> per hour. So whatever. <laughs> Our fine, my, the final one is Jeff Daniels as, as Harry Temple. So those are those are the five that I picked. Oh, it's Glenn who Plummer, would you, man. Who would you vote for stealing the film? Glenn Plummer. I agree, but I have to give a shout out to Joe Morton because Joe Morton's like special. Like, you know, it's it's like I feel like I grew up on him on action movies like this and Executive Decision. And then you learn like he's this a- serious theater actor and like a performer. And Are you going to talk to him, the movie, Chris, like he... at some point? Who? Joe Morton. Oh, I've talked to Joe. Yeah? Yeah, he's in there. He's, he's coming up. I haven't had – I have not been able to figure out where to introduce him. Margaret Medina, who plays uh, Jeff's partner back at the – and, and uh, yes. Richard Lineback, who plays oh. – Norwood. Norwood. Right. And he's also Helen Hunt's father in Twister that gets sucked up at the beginning. He's so good. He's so good. He's in Natural Born Killers, too. They're all coming. Yes. They're all coming up. I just haven't had a natural place to introduce them. I want to backtrack on the line thing um, for a minute, though. uh, We've got some Oscars controversy again. Well, because there's someone ought to be mentioned in this stealing the film bit. He just got an Emmy nomination for Succession. (gasps) <gasps> How have we not talked about Alan oh Ruck? Oh, my God. Alan I, I did have him on the humor section, but yeah. I, 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 He's brilliant. I already seen the airport. Probably <laughs> deserves to be in the line discussion because that's just perfection. Oh, he's incredible. Like, uh, we're at the airport. So, I already seen the airport. Such a thing you would say as a tourist yeah. that's like <laughs> dealing with this thing. Yeah, he is. Anyway, what a legend that guy is. Absolutely like, brilliant. Three, I actually do have him in the so next good. section. Mm. Um 
So um, I'm going to press you for your. I'm going to press you for your votes for stealing the film. You've said Glenn Plummer. I'm going to go with Joe Morton just to just to, to just to throw some love to Joe Morton. I think he's incredible, but like even in a movie that's not great, like The Astronaut's Wife, he is phenomenal in that movie. Joe Morton, he, just money in the bank every time. Yeah, he's a what great a, actor. Inc- you know who steals him. the movie is Richard Schiff as the subway driver. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, yeah that was funny. I went, wait a minute, that's Richard Schiff. Yeah, that he's was great. Wild. He blows my, blown away. My choice is is actually despite. The, all these incredible actors. My choice is, is Jeff Daniels as mm. Harry Temple. Yeah. And I just want to say one thing about like uh, about this. Have you considered the fact that Jeff Daniels is hungover throughout this entire <laughs> day? That's incredible. Making this the worst day ever that culminates in his death. <laughs> smart hangover thing, which is he goes... A lot, because yeah, men yeah. of a certain age, when they have too many drinks, have stuffy noses the next day, I can tell you. And you're, it feels very, it's like he's been snoring yeah. all night, and he woke up with like a stuffy nose, because he's, it's Bri- so, he's just great. so great. How long do you think hap- it is between the elevator sequence and them getting that award? That's a great question. I think it's like six weeks. Okay. That because he says a while back at one point. Yeah. That's such a good question because it yeah. feels, How long like, it feels next, like it's the next Hopper day. But plan <laughs> you got also something so you, elaborate, right? Well, it has to be in a bit of league time. Yeah, there's that, and it's also like that, like just. I mean, this is so in the weeds, but this is what we do. It's like they they have to like everything has to go okay. They have to organize a ceremony. There's the whole bureaucracy of something like this happens, and there are additional people getting awards for other things that are happening. Yeah. So you have to assume they're like we schedule one of these every. Ha- Harry yeah. would have had months. to have had surgery. Yeah, on he's, him, he's limping around wound. on that leg. You know. Yeah, that's, that's not, true. That's it's gotta, you know. it's, but it's even longer than that. It's got to be a couple months. You Maybe, know what I mean? But yeah. the, to the movie's credit, you're not thinking about that. You're also not thinking about like some like if you know it. it really almost it's so elaborate that it doesn't stand up to that it stands up to that kind of question yeah, totally. which is really incredible totally all right let's move on to the dick thornberg award for dick of the movie so some controversial choices here like would you nominate ray uh daniel villarreal for pulling the gun on the bus or ortiz aka gigantor played by carlos carrasco for grabbing ray and causing Sam the driver to get shot. There's such a great story behind why all that happened, by the way. Tell it. If you want to, go for it. Oh, gosh, it it was a domino effect. Originally, the bus driver had a heart attack, and Hawthorne James said, I don't want to be Fred Sanford on the bus. Like, I don't want to be the Mm -hmm. one guy, everybody's heroic, and then I get a heart attack and, and, you know, die. And so they was like, okay, well, how do we deal with this and incapacitate the driver? We'll have someone shoot him. Who's going to shoot him? Ray, who or Daniel, who was going to play... Terry, which is the David Kriegel role, the guy with the kind of 94 haircut, uh, he, he he was given this other role as like kind of a gangbanger guy who's on the bus and thinks that he's there to be arrested. Right. And so, okay, we'll have him shoot him. And okay, well, he's not just going to shoot him. What do we do? Oh, we'll have Ortiz tackle him. So Carlos has always been bent out of shape. Carlos Carrasco has always been bent out of shape about that to this day. Uh, because again, all these guys read the version of the script that had their backstories in there, and then suddenly they come in for the read, but the weekend before they're going to shoot it, and all their stuff's been cut out, and they're like, "What?" Oh, wow. Whole story about that coming up. But and his, Carlos is like, "Sure, blame it on the Latinos," right, <laughs> you know. Right, so it's like yeah, it does. Yeah. It, it's a it's a that's kind a, of domino effect from changing that. But yeah, go ahead. Um, well, there's those two which are which have asterisks to them because it is sort of circumstantially well, it complex. Speaks to how complicated it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, and effective. And then there's Alan Ruck as Doug Stevens, the doofy tourist. Beth Grant as Helen, the old lady on the bus who <laughs> tries to get a off. Dick. My God, it's hard to are, find. It's hard to. It was a little. I'm being yeah. harsh because there, there's not a lot of dicks in this movie. There are actually, and also even the police know, are. Dennis, Alan Payne's kind of a dick. <laughs> um, 
And but what about the woman who dropped her handbag and ruined the looped video? Like she fucked up everything. Yeah, Jesus. Very simple <laughs> instructions. <laughs> yeah. I've I love always, it when I've actually always been irrationally mad at her about that. <laughs> because she's the reason Richard Schiff is dead. Yeah. Like, I love it when Hopper goes, no, no. He like yeah. loses oh, it. It's incredible. God, so yeah, good. that's tough on the dick sticks of the movie. Um, you go first. Okay. I got to think some more. Okay, well, I'll, you know, what is a dick? I, no, um, <laughs> I a am going to go with the cop who encourages Helen to try to get off the bus. Oh. Because yeah. it's been made clear no one can get off the bus. They get it. And my wife actually pointed it out. She was like, why are these guys they're telling like, her to get on, off the bus? Yeah, yeah, like it's, it, they're the nice dicks pull. of the movie. Yeah, that's That changed too, by the way. She originally was, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just, I, I know too <laughs> oh, yeah, much we, about We're this clearly movie. not interested, so please stop. Like, the honest. Helen character originally was like, Kind of being brave and testing, like I'll I'll go first, I'll try, and then that's when they find out that he, he, he oh. had a bomb there to blow up, and so Jan was like, "I need a coward to Beth yeah. Grant," and she's like, "I was a hero before, now I'm like, she hates her character now. She's like, I I was so glad Hard when she died." Like. Dick of the movie is the drummer of Dog Star, <laughs> uh, Robert Mailhouse. <laughs> right. Thanks for pushing that. Thanks Bob. for pushing that. You can tell that guy's a fucking dick. Yeah, <laughs> that is an excellent choice. It's a suit. It's the whole. Oh my thing. god, but he's again, so smarmy. So smarmy, but it feels so real. Yeah, everyone knows that guy. Yeah, that's you know? like he he parted with Alice back in the day. That yeah. guy. Oh, that's a good pull. Our the... final category, and I don't know if now we just real quick for the diehard on a blank hardcore fans. Uh, I uh, oh. my dad. Yeah, uh, you're, you're <laughs> say our parents. Um. We are considering tinkering with the best death category. Um, so I wondered if, for old time's sake, Liam, if you felt comfortable doing the presentation, because this is usually presented by Marco. Warm up. No more table! Next time you think of... Ne- wow. <laughs> next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. So look out for Thanks some for the tweaks to this, uh, to this category. Sorry, I stopped I doing it when we got saying. guests, because they, they would look at me like, what's... what's... So the best death, we've got... Beth trying to cross over, Harry's death. What an incredible piece of yeah. acting oh by God, Jeff that... Daniels that you'd break down in, yeah. in microcosmic detail down to his facial muscles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, He's in, incredible. In that He's scene. So what an amazing. That great haunts you, that doesn't guy. it? That, oh, his great. expression haunts you. Yeah. yeah. You know, just an amazing piece of acting. Um, the train driver, Richard Schiff, uh, a.k.a. Toby Ziegler, getting brutally <laughs> shot in the back, and Howard Payne losing his head. Oh, man. Best it's, death, guys. It's, it's Harry. Harry. Yeah, I mean it's Harry. That's such a it's a bold way to depict a character dying too. Mm-hmm. Uh there's no it's not a big moment. It's a quiet moment and as I said in the in that episode that Jeff kind of clowned me on, but still it's a noble death. Yeah. He knows he's done. Yeah. He knows it and he's just he just sits there and eats it and he it's totally it's does. good. It's just like it's like he got checkmated mm-hmm. and he he realized it. It's it's really powerful. So yeah. I think that's a great great choice. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna just yeah. 100%. We all agree on that. Yep. Unanimous, unanimous, unanimous. We love you, Jeff. All right, our final section of the show presented by Marco. Oh, that's the character. Oh, okay, yeah, I, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. what is that? Okay, now I got it. Yeah, you're like, why did he do that? That was weird. Our our final it's pretty section. Pretty normal until then. <laughs> Our final section of the show is what we would usually call the double jeopardy quiz, but now we're going to call it the pop quiz, uh, where I ask you guys three trivia questions. Now, this was difficult. 
This was difficult because you I know think you might everything. Well on this one, my bud. Everyone, you know everything about speed. So I yeah. had to do sort of some speed adjacent questions. Do you guys want to collaborate or compete? Once again, you're asking me to compete with a guy that spent years. <laughs> I know Nick what your answer is He was like, let's let's uh, let's com- let's collaborate, and I was like, good, because I'll lose. Your choice, compete or collaborate. So you're going to ask questions about speed. I'm going to ask speed adjacent questions. Speed adjacent. Three, three trivia questions. They're all speed two cruise control related. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who was the key? grip on speed to cruise you probably know <laughs> and you've interviewed him no actually I weirdly um, have the uh, Wikipedia open so I'll check it we can we can uh, we'll compete okay. if you want that's fine okay. make, it it. Fun. All right. make it All right. spicy I've got my ass All right. kicked alright guys here we go question number one this is, should be relatively easy Joe Morton appears in this film as Jack's boss Mac the leader of their LAPD SWAT team <sighs> this voice but in which other 90s action movie is Joe Morton repeatedly shot by an LAPD SWAT team? Who answers? Do we just buzz or what? Sure, yeah. Oh, it's Terminator 2. Is the oh, correct answer. I, yeah, I had the image and I was like, wait, what movie is this? Well done. You the guys it. who shot him or the guys who trained him for speed? Really? Yeah. Wow. wow. Even have even has facts about the he trivia questions. He knows the key grip of speed, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was an easy. That was an easy. I didn't get an it. Easy I totally one. forgot. That was an easy one. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of kind of creeps up on you. Miles Bennett Dyson. Yep. There you go. <laughs> the breathing. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. What an actor. Good movie, by <laughs> the way. <laughs> not 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 too bad. And also the leader of that LAPD SWAT team is Dean Norris of Breaking Bad. That's Bowling. right. Mm-hmm. In front that's of right. T two. He's also right. in Lethal Weapon too. Yeah. That's right. So this is an adjacent Lethal Weapon. So podcast. Lethal Weapon bingo again. Uh, question number two. Jeff Daniels plays Detective Harry Temple in Speed, one of his many nice guy roles around that time. But in which other 90s film does Jeff Daniels play a nasty, racist LAPD cop named Alvin Strayer? I have no idea. Now, there is a clue available. Yeah. You can phone, you can call a, you you can phone a friend, you can call Al Powell. Cop. What is this? this yeah. I know this. I feel like I've seen this movie. They're screaming at us at home, probably. I'm going to need a phone a friend deal. All right, we're going to call Al. Let's call Harry All this right. time. <laughs> All right, the clue is Eric Stoltz appeared as Daniel's LAPD oh, partner. Oh, Two Days in the Valley. Yes. I've never seen Two Days, two in, days the in the Valley. Two Days in the Valley, fuck. It's yeah. a, I, I love that. It came up movie. on your show yeah, recently, yeah, yeah. and he I was talks like, about i got to watch this. He's got that great anecdote from Clint Eastwood that tells yes. him, if you can do... Dumb and Dumber, and you can do two days in the valley. You can do this because they were going to do uh, blood work or yeah, yeah true yeah, crime. Yeah, one yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. Absolute powers? It, no, it's blood work. It's blood, it's blood work. work yeah. yeah. All right. Our final section is Wait. convoluted corner. Oh, corner, God, corner, God, corner. God, God, God. Uh, All right. I hate this Den- quiz. <laughs> I fucking hate it. I hate quizzes, period, yeah. man. I'm ah! dying here. <laughs> I'm going to do the Howard Payne laugh as he, as he, uh-huh. as he escapes. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is right confused. We're directing oh. podcasting. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ease off on the helium. Dennis Hopper previously starred in True Romance, where the two central characters fall in love at a triple bill of kung fu movies. Oh, Jesus. I got it. The lead actor from that kung fu triple bill was one of the stars of the 1975 Japanese film The Bullet Train, which was one of the inspirations for Speed. Can you name this iconic Asian movie star? Sonny Chiba. Is the correct answer. Why? You didn't even need the clue. I spent some time in the 90s obsessed with Quentin Tarantino. That was my clue. Did I jump on him? I wasn't Bill. sure. Uh, you One. know, uh, speaking of which, Dennis Hopper's uh, big scene in True Romance is sitting opposite. 
Right. Christopher Walken, all roads lead back to speed. I haven't killed anyone since 1984. I'm not sure that if they good. could do that it. scene today, by the way. What'd you say? I'm not sure if they could film that oh scene today. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, that's another topic. Moving on. <laughs> um, good movie. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been amazing. Oh. I just wanted to... to uh, summarize like my thoughts on this into sort of the wider picture of the show which is although this this so speed although clearly influenced by by die hard and these are the films that we've talked about bullet train runaway train um i'd say this really is an original story an original story paradigm that created a new strand in action movie genealogy that would then branch off and spawn its own its own imitators right like uh, name some of you, you know, if I'm missing any, but obviously the sequel, uh, Money Train, Nick of Time, Wait, Chain there's a Reaction. Kind of. Yeah, we don't, it's like the cousin we don't talk about. Right. Uh, Ronin, Chill Factor, <gasps> Gone in 60 Seconds, Collateral, Cellular, Unstoppable, Snowpiercer, Bullet Train, the more recent one, and Ambulance, as well as some notable Die Hard slash Speed hybrids, such as Broken Arrow and Hard Rain, both of which were also written by Graham Yost. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, after the promise of Point Break, it would cement Keanu Reeves' status as a bona fide action star, which would lead to classic action movies such as the Matrix franchise, the John Wick series. And I think you can also draw a line. To, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Chris. I think you can draw a direct line between this movie and the Fast and the Furious franchise. Yeah, would you definitely. Would you agree? Uh, a lot of the guys that are drivers in Speed and stuff uh, worked on those movies. Uh, talking about Nick DeSimlian earlier, he he mentioned one that I thought was an interesting one, uh, Crank. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, also there was the X-Files episode that Vince Gilligan did with uh, Brian Cranston, Cranston that was like kind of overtly inspired by Speed. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, wait, what were you asking me? Well, just, just, <laughs> it, it, I think you nailed the, it. In, yeah, I mean, you know, Speed, I think my point really is just that while Die Hard influenced this whole, uh, you know, DNA strand, this genealogical thread of all these other movies, I think Speed kind of took some of those elements mm-hmm. and then branched off with its own thread. Some of them are Die Hard hybrids. Some of them are, are, you know, other own kind of imitators. So I think basically the point is to give Speed respect that it stands yes. alongside, but also alone and apart from Die Hard as its own singular, unassailable masterpiece. This is the reason I did the podcast, if you really want to boil it down, which is speed deserves to be in the canon, and I don't feel that it is. Mm. It's sort of this, like, stepchild or something, if you will. And people, every time they finally see speed and they haven't seen it in 20 years, they're like, oh, yeah, this movie rocks. Mm -hmm. Like, it's undeniable, and yet it's not in the canon. And I think that's because it was made at the peak of a number of filmmaking techniques that were on their way out. So you can't say it's like influential in certain mm-hmm. ways, uh, but to your point, yes, there are strands that made it up. But you never, people never follow those strands back to speed. And I just think it, Die Hard, Terminator Two, it belongs right there. And the goal of Fifty Miles Per Hour is to get it there. So, so what can we? What's coming up next on oh, Fifty gosh, Miles Per Hour? So I mean, we much. got the whole series laid out for us today. Yeah, you got some good previews today. Uh, like I say, last week we talked to Nick, and that was sort of a breather in between. You know, we spent 16, 15 episodes talking about development and casting and everything. Haven't even gotten to cameras ro- rolling yet. So now we're going to get into the production episodes. There will be uh, several episodes sort of talking to stunt drivers and stunt coordinators and just nuts and bolts stuff. Uh, I interviewed this guy, Gil Combs, who 
him and Donna Evans, another stunt driver, anytime you see the bus moving in the movie, they're driving it. And usually it's Gil driving it from the top of the bus with a hydraulic system and a pod that they can move all over the bus. I mean, there's just the details of how they actually made this. And you're going to hear from special effects coordinator John Frazier and just really digging into, again, what I said at the beginning, this was the movie that got me into the filmmaking process. So you're going to hear more detail than you ever wanted. We're going to have a whole episode just about the jump sequence. There's a whole, huh. there's another borderline rosebud like thing where I'm trying to track down a, an element of that yes. as well. More, more stuff where I bring in guests and, you know, I talked to Katie Walsh about the greatest Los Angeles oh, great. movies. We, yeah. we love her. Yeah. Yeah. She's the best. Because to me, Speed is a great Los Angeles movie. You had yeah. something on here. Could it, could it take place in any other city? No. Because to the point that Guillermo del Toro makes in that episode, <laughs> it takes place in the city of gridlock where everybody knows that sooner or later yeah. your car has to, to stop. stop. And so I talked to Katie about the greatest Los Angeles movies. I talked to the Light the Fuse boys about the greatest uh, action set pieces. So we're just going to have fun for the rest of uh, this thing. I mean, I guess we're about a third of the way through now, more or less, coming up on halfway through. And it's all leading up to the 30th anniversary next June, June 10th, 2024. Well, if you aren't already a listener of 50 Miles Per Hour podcast, I don't know what you're doing with your time, <laughs> but let's get it together. It's a great show. It's like Thank really, like, I mean, and we're so psyched you did this. We're so psyched that you came on into this with well, us. Of course. It's thanks so for having me, man. Thank course. you. Thank you. It's come, great to come over here. Anytime. Come back, please. Thank you, Chris. That was awesome. That was great. What a great guy. What a great interview. What a coup for us to have the world's foremost expert on on speed speed. on on the show. So good. You know what else is good? You know, sometimes we read reviews of the show. I like to read a very specific review. (laughs) From one of our bots. (laughs) <laughs> Hello, I'm here to review I love Phil. podcasts. <laughs> this show Phil is great. Phil is very handsome also. <clears throat> There's a podcast series called Die Hard on a Blank, and the Under Siege episode they did is fantastic. That review is from Andrew Davis, director of Under Siege and The Fugitive. And I would say a Hollywood legend of the highest order. Yeah. Listen to our podcast. Yeah, you you threw me for a loop there for a second, but yeah, we've discovered that like a couple of days ago. A couple of days ago, ago, yeah. And our minds exploded. We love... Andrew, we legitimately love Andrew Davis. The the package under siege, uh, obviously the fugitive. We, we've talked about him at length, and it was really like kind of mind blowing to to be hear, to hear that. So yeah. thank you so much uh, to him, and and uh, it just goes to show you, you never know who's listening, and a lot of that is thanks to you guys, like spreading the good word and absolutely you know, letting Actually, people we, know. We found out about it from a listener to the show emailed and said, "Oh yeah, I read that interview where." Um, Andrew Davis gave props to your show. This was an email that came to me, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I looked it up. So thank you so much, Allied O. Cloven, was the email address for sending that our way. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I don't know if you understand how much getting an email about how much people like the show means to us. It's really, it's like the greatest reward. That's really great. So please keep that up. Yeah. Um, 
Phil. Yeah. How's your how's how's X treating you these days? <laughs> um, how's your it's X a nonstop, account? It's a nonstop fun fest. Um, no, I, I yeah, I'm on X at Philip Gawthorn. Uh, yeah, you know, hit me up, uh, banter. Um, you know, I'm I'm out there um, occasionally tweeting about movies, and I genuinely have enjoyed the community of other cinephiles that I they've met on there. So by all means, yeah, hit me up, text me, tag me. You know, I want to uh, meet our listeners and interact with you guys, and we really appreciate it when you engage with us and the official accounts. Yeah, and you can find me at Liam G. Billingham on Twitter and at DieHardOAB is the official account for the show. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, and I'm, I refuse to say X in a real way, so we're still on Twitter. You can also email us at diehardoab at gmail.com. And you can email Phil at ilovehelicopters at helicopterlove.com. <laughs> I haven't had any emails yet, but, you know, uh, hope well, the, springs eternal. The account would have to exist for you to do that. Uh, next time on the show, Phil... Yes. What are we doing? We're doing a movie called Blown Away. It's Die Hard on a Boston. <laughs> on a Boston? <laughs> it's Die Hard in Boston. It's Die Hard in Boston. So I will be pulling out my fucking Boston accent. Yeah. I'm just going to drop right into it. So, yeah. A lot get... of goodwill hunting quotes on, on that episode. Serious, sure. serious Boston energy coming big, at you for that one. Big Boston. Big, um, big, it's I an interesting be... movie. It's it's an interesting companion piece to speed. They're kind of they're kind of similar, and we, we have a lot to say about it. So, so tune in for that one. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back next time with some new FBI guys. I guess. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast created and hosted by Philip Gawthorn. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your movie podcast-loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. Special thanks to Suki Chu. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.